0: Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So sit back and relax and enjoy Paris Good Food and Wine. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. For our April in Paris Good Food and Wine show, we take you this month to the city's first fresh-made donut shop. We bring you with us on a tête-à-tête with a third-generation Bordeaux Chateau wine expert, who tells us about her 2017s, just in time for en primeur. And lastly, but most certainly not least, he joined me for a sit down with chef Sylvestre Wahid, the two-star Michelin chef whose 10 table dining room called Restaurant Sylvestre on Rue Saint-Dominique offers truly luxury dining and spares no detail in the service, the setting, or the cuisine. So relax, kick up your feet, pour yourself a glass of whatever is tugging at your taste buds this minute, and join us for yet another episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine, where we introduce you to some of France's finest wine and food entrepreneurs and experts. We'll begin the show with Julia Gazagnol, whose grandfather purchased Chateau de Parenchère in 1958. For most wine estates in Bordeaux, 2017 was an especially difficult year, climatically speaking. Many estates lost anywhere from 50 to 80% of their grapes due to late frosts. It was the smallest harvest since 1947. However, as Julia will explain to us in greater detail, the quality remains quite good. So this feels like a real Paris afternoon because I'm sitting in a wonderful wine bar in Le Marais uh, across the table from Julia Gazagnol from Chateau de Parencher in Bordeaux. And she's got a lot of really great insight to share with us about her chateau, about Bordeaux, about the 2017 vintage. So um, yeah, I mean, maybe you want to... Start by introducing yourself and a little a brief history of your chateau and then let's talk a little bit more about
1: Bordeaux Because you've got some really great insight into the vignerons there Thank you Paige. So I'm very happy to to manage to talk to you and to your uh, fans on the on the blog Um, So we met together at the Bordeaux Blanc uh, tasting and uh, they were showing actually the 2017 vintage Uh, So uh, I'm happy to talk a little bit about that a bit later on. So I'm Julia Gazagnol from Chateau de Parenchère. So uh, Chateau de Parenchère, you said it really right. So congratulations because it's not easy. So Parenchère is an estate at the very east side of the Bordeaux region. Um, Actually, we are bordering another region called Dordogne. So we are very very much inland and um, the estate is in the Bordeaux, General Bordeaux Superior Appellation. So I think next year you're going to
0: tell us a little bit about your 2017, and uh, I th- I know that it was a
1: very it's a very distinguished year, but you'll tell us why. Yes, actually 2017 is distinguished, but not for the right reason. It's been a, a very difficult year for uh, the winemakers. Um, there was a very late frost. Well, first, the beginning of the year was quite early. So it means the buds came out quite early. And what happened is what every winemaker, uh, vigneron is, is fearing, is that the frost came quite late at the very end of April, the 20th of April 1st. And then it came again around the 28th. Of August of uh, April sorry and so it was very hard because it, it struck uh, the vineyard at the perfect uh, live wrong moment so we lost as most producers in general in Bordeaux well, in the overall France a lot of people lost a lot and in Bordeaux it's 50% of the crop that was destroyed so it's really, really hard. Even some people got hail in July. So, I mean, it's, it's really the, the most terrible uh, vintage uh, ever during, uh, regarding climates. So it was very hard. Us at Parencher, we lost 70% of the white wines. the white, And um, we even didn't harvest two hectares of the Sauvignon Blanc. So it was really hard. We didn't even pick it up because there was nothing left. So very hard, and uh, and for the red we lost sixty percent of the production. So it's it's a very very tough uh, vintage in in terms of quantity, but the quality actually is is quite good. Uh, what happened is that the the vine uh, then uh, so we lost the production with this um, with this uh, ice. I mean the the frost. But the vine had time to adjust. And the rest of the year, actually, then it was concentrated because there were very few grapes left. So we got a good concentration and surprisingly, really uh, very well-balanced wines. So in the white wine, uh, the wines are very, we a good, very nice acidity, but also we managed to get a good, a nice ripeness. So the wines are very balanced and very aromatic, which is very important for the whites. And uh, although we lost the Sauvignon Blanc, which was I was fearing to have a wine unbalanced, a bit more heavy because there was m- would be more semillon. And actually, it's not the case. We have this nice level of freshness, acidity that we are looking for. So it's a very nice balance, and we stay in line with the usual style. And so we've been very relieved to, to see that. And in the reds, actually, uh, the wines... Also got the great ripeness because at the end of um, of September the the we got a good weather and so we managed to wait for a right maturity, and the wines also are very well balanced with a nice very nice fruit and a good roundness so this vintage was really challenging for everybody and I think it's very tough for everybody that you can see your work destroyed in April and you already prepared all your vines since the beginning since you cut it in January so you see that the work of the whole year is gonna be destroyed But actually, when we we taste that vintage today, of course, the the production is very low. So I think there will be very few on the market, but actually the quality is really nice. So I think uh, today, yes, so it's the preview of this vintage. Of course, it's very young to taste. Uh, I brought you some two, those two bottles, so you will see. Um, but you will see the the style is very nice for, for the for the wines, and I think the the, um, the market and the, the scores of the the tasters will be showing it quite nicely. So
0: you have uh, cuvée Raphael, which is your prestige cuvée. Um, and you mentioned a moment ago that that was the name of your grandfather. Can you just talk a little bit specifically about, about that one? And then maybe mention, I know that once it gets exported to the US, it's a different price point, but I mean, you know, where like how, where would we find it? And yeah, um,
1: well, our wines, yes, we, we exported quite a lot in the US. Uh, it's 20 years we are with the same um, importer. Actually, they, were, they have been purchased since the beginning. It's now a big group called the Country Fitness Wine Bowl. So it's a quite a large group. But, so it's easy to find all over the U.S. because it's a very long history there. And I go quite often there also to try to, to show it and promote the wines. So we are spread nearly in all over the, the country. And the, those two wines are our two wines, the two reds that we, we produce. So the classic Parencher first. Uh, that wine is the one I was telling you about. It's non-oaked often a bit more Merlot, like 60% Merlot, and the rest is about 30% Cabernet Sauvignon and about 10% uh, Cabernet Franc with the 1% Malbec, always in general in this cuvee here. And this one is non-oaked, so mostly Merlot, so to make it supple and easy and fruity. So that's that's why we highlight the Merlot. And non-oaked to also keep really the terroir, keep it natural, you know, not to have any influence and not to kill the fruit. So that's the idea of this wine. and. All of the wines we are making, it's in general, it's quite full-bodied, because that's what we like. <laughs> quite generous wine, full-bodied, but with always a nice freshness. So it's never over-extracted, you know. We work at very low temperature in the winemaking, and to highlight the fruit, so we do a small... I'm talking a bit technical, but we do a small maceration of the fruit for one week, and then we let the fermenting process start at very low temperature, so... it's coming the, the body and the structure comes and the tannins comes out very slowly so you can see it's always right but with the right structure that you expect from a Bordeaux wines and the fruit is very upfront. so it's one you can drink now but it's got about 10 years of aging potential I would say for lovers, you can even keep it, let's say, 15, 20 years, but I would say about 10 years. And so that's the classic parenchère. And then the Cuvé Raphael is the wine uh, that's, uh, that are the oldest vines, uh, made from the oldest vines that my grandfather planted. So the oldest vines are 60 years old. And um, and so it's a blend, let's say, in general, about 40 years old vines and the selection of the finest plots of the estates. So when we make the blend, the assemblage, we taste each. We have 32 different plots at the estate, and that we do 32 different wines. And when we taste them, we decide, is it going to be the classic Paranchère? Is it going to be the Cuvée Raphael? And we only keep the best, uh, more dense cuvee, but also the more interesting in the fruit aromas, the more fine tannins to go in the cuvee Raphael. And so the cuvee Raphael is really so the, the best of the estate that we age in the French oak barrels. We age it for about 14 years. And uh, you can see... Well, I, I would say Parencher Classic is around $15. So it's not a crazy price. And Cuvée Raphael is around $22, about. And it's wine that you can age for, yes, at least 12 years. But uh, it can go up to 15, up to 20 years, actually. So I would say the, the peak is is to taste it from 8 years to 12 years. It's where the one the tannins get smoother... And so, of course, this cuvee is more full-bodied with more structure, but the tannins are very soft. So it's not an aggressive wine, and it's really a style of a classic Bordeaux that you would get there. And so it's good to wait, I would say, two, three years to start to, to really enjoy it and to keep it for up to 12 years is the optimum, I would say.
0: Julia, I want to thank you so much. You know, and also, to, I feel like I just took a kind of like a... a a primer a crash course on (laughs) on Bordeaux wine so I want to thank you very much for being so generous and sharing your knowledge and your your savoir faire and and all that and also I you know it's wonderful I think to highlight some you know some of these uh wines that um you know I always say to people this is really it's wines like these that it really pays to study and read and talk and and also look at some other tasting notes and stuff because I mean that, that kind of a price point I mean for this kind of a wine you know even your even your um, top cuvee the, the Raphael I mean that is an extremely affordable price point and and then you have a, a wonder a gorgeous Bordeaux on your dinner table that's going to impress everyone who is sharing a meal with you so I mean I think you know it's these kinds of wines that. To me, it, it's these kinds of r- wines that justify learning and studying about wine. Anyway, that's that's kind of my two cents. But
1: th- thank you so much. And any last final thoughts? Uh, no, but thank you very much for this comment. Yes, we, we are trying to, not just to tell you what we do. We just want to make wines for pleasure. Well, first for ourselves, because we enjoy wine. So it, it better be good for us <laughs> to drink it every day. <laughs> um, but we, we really make wines to have Uh, fun and to enjoy and so that's why I think it reflects our style we are a classy Boudou with a real uh, structure with a long aging potential but we wanted to make wines to enjoy so they are fresh and they are fruity and and I think that's why we, we managed to sell quite a lot also in the US is that we are in this immediate pleasure, but also for people who are a bit more patient, uh, it's wines, and we have a lot of customers in France who, who buy it from generations and to store them for years. Uh, it's one also to to give, to give get more in-depth and to get more complexity with the time. So it's a bit what we're trying to do to win really to enjoy, and, and uh, they are really um, true to type, I would say, with a real personality. And uh, that's what we are trying to do. Uh, thank you, Paige. I'm Paige Donner.
0: You're listening to Paris, Good Food and Wine. The show is produced and broadcast from Paris, France. It's Paris's first-ever homegrown English-language radio show about food and wine. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. Next up is Amanda Bankert pastry chef and co-owner of Bone Shaker Donuts in the Silicon Sentier district of Paris. So standing here with Amanda Bankert in her Bone Shaker Donut shop on Rue d'Aboukir, And so in this sea of hamburgers, this young woman and her husband started this donut shop and it's in the area known as Silicon Sentier. So that it's surrounded by a bunch of startups and in fact, uh, several friends of mine who work at some startups around here kept telling me, oh, you got to go because at four o'clock in the afternoon, there's a line out the door every single day. So tell me, how did you happen upon opening up a donut shop here in Paris?
2: Um, I suppose originally it came just from a need or a want, I suppose, of um, to eat donuts. <laughs> so I'm a pastry chef. I've been a pastry chef for uh, about 12 years, um, trained here and then was working in Ireland, and when my husband and I, who's from Dublin, moved back here, we knew we wanted to open something together, we were trying to figure out what to do, and I realized there's no place to get a really good, like, handmade, old-fashioned donut, and I figured if we want to eat them, surely other people might, might want to eat them as well, so we decided to go for it and see how it would go.
0: No, you know, you're, you're so right because there's such a, there's a world of difference between, um, a hot fresh made donut and the kind of store-bought packaged, uh, Cardboard tasting stuff that you can get. So, um, so tell me a little bit about some of your flavors because you've got some also some very original flavors here.
2: Yeah. So we like to have fun with our flavors. Um, one of our newest flavors and one of my current favorites is called our Hoppy Days. And it's actually named after the craft beer bar across the road, which is called Hoppy Corner. And so it's a stout a toasted marshmallow and chocolate donut. Um, but the stout that I use actually depends on what the bartenders feel like giving me on any given day. So Either my husband and I will run over in the afternoon and literally grab a pint from the bar, and then I come back here and and make dough with it. So it's kind of cool. So you have the general same flavor profile, but it's going to change ever so slightly day to day, depending on what's on tap.
0: Now, that uh, that uh, recipe must have originated from some kind of inspiration. Where did that – your husband's Irish, you yes. mentioned. You spent some time in Dublin yes. yourself. And uh, I guess they are big beer drinkers there. Is that kind of an Irish-grown recipe or
2: – Yeah, well, originally that particular flavor combination came from a birthday cake that I used to make him. So every year for his birthday, I would make him a stout marshmallow and chocolate cake – and this year for his birthday, I decided to see if it would work in donut form. And it did. And it actually ended up working really well. So well that we've now put it permanently on our menu. <laughs> so so it's good. Yeah. Now, do
0: you have like regular flavors and then you have maybe a feature of the month or something or how, or how does that work? Like what are some other of your staple um, flavors for your donuts?
2: So we have about six donuts that we keep on the rotation all year round. So we have a Beach Haven donut, which is named after a town in New Jersey uh, where I go every summer and where we actually came up with the idea for the donut shop. But that's our cinnamon sugar donut. We have a plain glazed donut, a beer, caramel maple syrup, whiskey and peanut brittle which is called our Sweet Virginia, the Hoppy Days and then we have another kind of mm, I'd say between four and six flavors that change every month. So this month for instance we have a tea custard donut because it was St. Patrick's Day so we did sort of Irish uh, Irish flavors this month so we have like tea custard, we have a Country Roads. Uh, which is caramelized walnuts, lime, and honey. Uh, we have peanut butter and jelly uh, filled with a peanut butter mousse and topped with homemade jam. So, and then we had a, an orange one as well with confit orange and cinnamon. So yeah, so we have five or six that kind of vary month by month and depending on my mood in the season and then, and then our core flavors as well.
0: Those are so creative. I mean, I've been out of the, the donut loop in the United States for a while now, but I mean, I've never been into a Dunkin' Donuts and seen those kinds of flavors is that you're a pastry chef by trade. So.
2: Yeah, I think as far as the flavors go, um, I worked actually in restaurants in the pastry department. So I've never, this is my first kind of foray into sort of a bakery type setting. So I think the benefit of that, though, is I kind of approach the flavors like a plated dessert. So I kind of build the donut flavor. So each donut, I think in my head, just because what I do, you know, after years of working in restaurants is like, it's almost like a little a dish sort of. So, So that would be that.
0: It's more than a donut. It's actually a pastry.
2: <laughs> I'd say it is actually, yeah. Even with the recipe that we developed for the dough, it was like it was kind of a. It's it's yeah, probably it's a donut, but you know, it's a French donut. So it's yeah. there's pastry thrown in there as well for sure. Yeah.
0: No, I love that because it's like it's like even if you're trying to do something, um, you know, very down home and quintessentially American, France has this way of working on you, and uh, then uh, and all of a sudden, this new creation is. Uh, blossoms yeah so you are very popular here i think you've been here for two years Just about, yeah yeah just under two years it'll be two years this summer and so any ideas about i know you have a young son so you probably got your hands full but i mean um what are your what's your take on like kind of the entrepreneurial atmosphere of paris for restaurant owners
2: I think it's changing a lot obviously there's loads of new restaurants and coffee shops and cafes that have been popping up and continue to pop up which I think is great so it's a really sort of vibrant time to be you know an entrepreneur in in Paris so that's very exciting the food scene at the moment well as always but is very kind of exciting at the moment in Paris now as well you have a lot of new people coming in or people that have traveled and are opening kind of different things or things with a French twist but uh yeah. So I think it's a, it's a great time to be, to be opening a, a business in Paris.
0: <laughs> awesome. And just for our listeners, I wonder if
2: you could uh, mention the, your exact address and if you have a website. Yeah, we sure do. So our address is 77 rue de d'Avocure in the second. We have a website. It's uh, www.boneshakerparis.com. And our Instagram as well is at BoneshakerParis.
0: Lots of fabulous pictures of donuts on your Instagram. I took a look at that. (laughs) Mouth body. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. Next, we'll be speaking with the acclaimed chef, Sylvester Wahid, who earned himself two Michelin stars for his restaurant Sylvester on Rue Saint-Dominique. This gem is hidden above the celebrated Brasserie de and offers a complete dining experience in an elegant, subdued setting. Chef Wahid, one of the things that, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but it seems that somebody, a chef who has two Michelin stars such as yourself, one of the challenges that you have to always meet is to source very interesting products. So not just use them in a very original and creative way, but also be able to source them. And one of the things that I've noticed on your menu is blackened fermented garlic. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Because that is the first time I've seen that product on anybody's menu and used such in such a creative way.
3: You know, uh, a very good morning eh? or good evening. I don't know what time it will be. No, no. The, it's all about uh, food and uh, passion about Meeting some people and uh, I traveling a lot. I like traveling. I like Asia, Japan, uh, Thailand, Middle East, uh, uh, France, of course, Europe, America, South America. So when you go somewhere, you can always find some products you like. This is the first thing. And I traveling a lot. Second thing, I'm very lucky because when you have two Michelin start or one Michelin start, whatever, or three Michelin start, a lot of people coming. see you with some products and want to try this kind of product this kind of product try this one try this one and uh, the black black uh, garlic uh, uh, one one day i was in the kitchen and uh, one uh, chinese girl coming uh, in the kitchen uh, she said i'm in paris and i start to working with uh, uh, japanese people japanese girls sorry we make a uh, uh, black garlic from Japan, do you want to try? I say, what well, is this black garlic? She says it's about fermentation, uh, with uh, sea, uh, sea water, uh, very long time, and after dry. I said, well, why not, let's try. And uh, she gave me one, and she left, because I, uh, I don't have really time to talk with her at this time, so I take the garlic, I put... Uh, on my box, I say I will try uh, for the menu uh, in the service, evening service. And uh, when people vegetarian, uh, people ask me if you have something vegetarian on your menu. I say yes, of course. At this time I was cauliflower. Mm. So I make like some cauliflower roasted with a uh, uh, little bit of uh, leaves, uh, bed goji, uh, and I said, oh, listen, we're going to try with a uh, black garlic because. Uh, so I cut little uh, cauliflower, little bit goji. Uh, and I take one garlic and I eat like that. Say, wow. It's very good. <laughs> so I start to like that, you know, it's it's like little accident. Because uh, I one girl coming to see me, she proposed me some products. I, I spoke with her. I didn't know her. But I don't want to say I don't have a time uh take an appointment or like that. I say, give me your products. I will try when I have time and call you back. And the next day, I call her back to say, I want to work with you. And uh, uh, please bring me another different products you have.
0: This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. One of those happy accidents. I guess it's probably difficult to remain open like that, especially when you're on such a regimented, uh, schedule. You, you travel a lot. You give, uh, classes in Brazil, uh, te- you know, cooking classes all over the, 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 world. Um, you know, at your restaurant Silvestre, which is, uh, restaurant Silvestre, Silvestre Wahid, um, that's your two-star restaurant. You also have the Brasserie Tremieux, which is on the ground floor on the street level, and then the two Michelin stars on the upstairs. Um, you've now embarked upon a new menu starting this spring. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because, I mean, that's where I, I saw the, um, the blackened garlic, blackened fermented garlic, which really caught my eye, which you just explained to us. But what's your philosophy now for your new menu? It, there seems to be a bit... I've heard you describe it as there being a little bit of a of a feminine touch to it, but I, then again, I mean, there's such there's duck there, there's steak, you know, there's all kinds of stuff for everybody's tastes. I think.
3: No, I when I decide to uh, to open the restaurant for lunch because usual time we close for lunch, and this time I say we beginning this year I wanna open the restaurant for lunch. Because my goal was to bring some new people in the kitchen, uh, in the restaurant. Younger people or some people uh, who like to try the Michelin Start restaurant. Because usually time the Michelin Start restaurant is very expensive. You know, this is the reputation of uh, Michelin Start restaurant. And how you can bring some new people in your restaurant. So I say I decided to open the restaurant for lunch. And uh, when I spoke with my direction, I say if I open a restaurant for lunch, I want to give some uh, uh two kind of experience one about food of course this is my goal but another experience is uh try to make people happy and comfort comfortable with the price and uh he say yes you have a solution i say you can make uh, the menu of 85 70 euros per person but it's uh, like different even like that is different Spirit, because the people thinking about okay the menu it's 85 euros but we have to add wine we have to add the water and we don't know how many dishes we have and after in, at the end we finish by uh, 200 uh, euro per person so sometimes it's uh, it's a problem so I decided I say okay you know what when Ducas say uh, I want to make a good France to make a project of french project uh, uh, on the menu classical typical french food i say let's go i'm going to do this one but i want to mix with your guess it will be my guess it's mean i make one menu at uh, 195 but it's all exclusive all included everything water coffee wine champagne aperitif dessert everything and uh, I make a signature menu at this price. So then it's very attractive for the people. It's a, uh, you have a two mission start experience for uh, uh, less than 100 euros per person with all inclusive. is not very expensive. My goal is not to win the money, it's just to, how you say, um, more popular, the return more popular for younger people.
0: Share, share your pleasure. Share your passion. Exactly it's
3: to share, to give the pleasure, and also uh, it's a very. It's, I have only eight tables, so the restaurant can be fully booked very faster. So to give some pleasure to the people for lunch time, it's always a pleasure.
0: This is a mythical location. This this restaurant up up here, up, up, right up above your brasserie Tomu, and I think the first time that you enter into this space, you just feel such. Um, a, uh, a sense of, of, of harmony and elegance. And you know, too, you, you've taken it to that next level. The ceramics that you've chosen for your tableware and your presentation. I know that you do a presentation with a, um, half shell, um, sea urchin, uh, with, that's presented on almost like tentacles of, like sea anemone ten- tentacles in porcelain how did you start to envision that? Because the, the, the presentation and then the quality of the food and then taste of the food, it's just so it's it's a whole experience.
3: Yes, but it's all about uh, training every day. We uh we, we stay like sixteen hours per day in the restaurant. Uh we do a lot of things and uh when I buy a very good products, I want to try to keep the more fresh possible. To try to, uh, to, to work this kind of produce less possible to keep very the flavor about the products. And I try now also to use all the things we don't use usual time, like shell, like, uh, uh bones, like, uh, crabs. And, uh, I, 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 this, this decoration was on my table because, uh, I want to design like, uh, anemone de mer. I don't know how it's in English, but, uh, it's one
0: a, a, a sea anem- anemone, a sea anemone
3: from the sea. And uh, when I I received my sea urchin and I saw this one, I say, oh, I want to present for this one because you have a, like a same road, same way, same uh, story is coming like that.
0: There's such delicacy. I mean, it's, it's, you feel like you're floating through uh, just a, you know, a a very haute gamme uh, culinary experience. You know, you have such an interesting path too. I mean, you're a young man still, you've already earned your two stars. Last year, your restaurant in the south, which I think you opened before here, also earned a star. How did you become this great French chef? (laughs)
3: I think it was just only uh, a pleasure to working and pleasure to give the pleasure, you know? If you're both of them, it's not like a work, Uh, it's like a uh, a playground and you play with what you have. And uh, the the guest, it's uh, the spectator coming to see your food, your talent, your decoration, and you want to have a good moment in your house, so you can give All your best to give a good pleasure to the client. This is my goal.
0: That's truly a mark of a great chef. I mean, there are, there are a number of chefs that I've, I've spoken to that say that really the, at the heart of their talent is generosity. Um, so what can you, what can we tell people who are, you know, looking for just an outstanding culinary experience while they're here in, in Paris? Like how, you know, how can we entice them to come in here? Because this is truly one of the best spots.
3: Listen, I have no idea. I uh, I have any secret. But the thing I you know, the best way to bring the people in your restaurant, it's uh, it's uh, how do you say, uh, mouse and uh, word, of mouth. word and mouth. More people spoke about you. More people want to see what's happening in your restaurant. But if you're nice, nice person, I and mean, you are, you like cooking. And unusual good products and you have also one thing because the restaurant is not only the chef you know it's uh, a global experience it's the writers it's uh, the chef sommelier it's the director of the restaurant it's your team in the restaurant and all this mix when it's going well the pleasure is going very good
0: you know, last word, chef, is there, aside from your places, is there somewhere, um, maybe not just in Paris, but anywhere on the planet, is there somewhere that you are really looking forward yourself to going back and eating at? I, I know you travel to, to, to Japan and you travel to Brazil, you travel all over the world. Is there some place that really stays in your mind?
3: Yes, I have, a, I have a lot of places, but, uh, when I'm, if I'm going for myself traveling, and have some like a day off or, or a week off uh, I like uh, eating uh, street food only street food because on the street food you can see the heart of the country where you go example New York street It's uh, it's uh, one of the best of the world uh, Thailand uh, I like Thailand, Bangkok uh, and the street food it's uh, very good Japan it's very good uh, uh, India also the the street food is mean it's the heart of the and the philosophy of the the food you can find in the the country you're visiting. So I like street food, very simple street food.
0: Well, I love that answer. That's very inspiring, Chef Sylvester Wahid. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come and talk to Paris, Good Food and Wine today.
3: Thank you very much. Voilà. <laughs>
0: Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. Be sure to check out our website at parisfoodandwine.net. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible, and especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine and like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.